2: I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Hello.
3: Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. Last night I had a really sort of fun night for a Monday and I went to see The 1975 supported by Christine and the Queens. Oh, exciting. That's part of the Apple Music Festival.
2: So did they do lots of stuff from the
3: most recent album? They did. They did my favorite one quite early, but then they ended with like a few really good ones as well. I think they have too many ballads in their current set. Oh, really? That would be my one criticism.
2: That's interesting because I don't think of them as a ballady band really mm, I think they, of them as quite an upbeat band
3: yeah they have obviously their most successful singles are all pretty upbeat but yeah. then they've got a lot of sort of fairly indulgent slower album tracks some of them are good like somebody else i like mm-hmm. but again it's got a bit more of a beat to
2: it but yeah matt healy is a really good front man i have to say i was going to ask you this because i know when we talked about the new album on the podcast a while ago We talked about how he comes across as kind of a dick. I can see how that would totally work in a live setting. Absolutely.
3: He's really one of these front men that is like an idiot having a really fun time. And really, why would you want a boring front man when Mm. you go to a gig? He said a few really funny things. Like at one point he was like, you know, shout out to Apple Music. Shout out to all you guys for in the audience for coming down. Shout out to us, really. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> which i just thought was really funny and, it, and at one point he was like i really want everyone to get into this song really make idiots of yourselves and then maybe i'll look like less of an idiot by proxy <laughs> so yeah it was it was really fun and christina the queens was amazing mm. i missed a bit of the beginning which was sad but she was really really good that sounds like a really fun night it was really fun mm. um and yeah i'm hoping that i might be able to go to some other stuff for the Apple music festival but we'll see
2: i've never been every year i think prior to this year i've like applied for a load of tickets and never got a single one i actually find it troll traw- To talk too much about the Apple Music Festival
3: because last year One Direction played Mm -hmm. the Roundhouse in Camden, which is a tiny venue, guys, for like a band like One Direction, like ridiculously small. And I spent weeks trying to get a ticket from the PR, Mm. weeks, and he teased me for weeks, and then I didn't get to go, and some of my friends went, and Mm. they weren't One Direction fans like me, as Mm. you can imagine, and I was so sad. But I did watch it, luckily they stream it, so I Mm. could see it, but really, really sad. So I've got to sort of get what I can out of Apple Music now to try and make up for it.
2: Yeah, they owe you, definitely. They owe me. (laughs) So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is The Great British Bake Off, which is currently... Currently, in its seventh series, it's about to enter its fifth week, which is about pastry. Uh, The show's been in the headlines even more than usual in recent weeks, as it was announced that it won't be appearing on the BBC after this series anymore, and instead it's being moved to Channel 4. Mel and Sue, who presented, said they aren't going with it. And basically the nation exploded in a a kind of faux-cake patriotism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the production company, reading between the lines slightly of their statement, basically said, you know, we were in renewal discussions with the BBC and they couldn't pay us as much as we thought we should be paid and Channel mm-hmm. 4 offered us more. hmm what informs this discussion and what's really frustrating is that when the bbc was going through its charter renewal process with the government last year one of the big criticisms was that it spends too much money on shows with really famous formats Mm -hmm. and that that's something commercial tv should be doing that the bbc should be like investing in new talent and stuff instead so i can see why if you were a bbc executive for the last week or so you'd be like but we did what you wanted. We, yeah. let, we let it go. It got too big for us. We didn't pay out ludicrous amounts of public money for it. Why are you all mad at us? I actually feel like the public are mad with the production
3: company, not yes. the BBC, yeah, for choosing to leave. But one thing that I'm curious about is what do you think everyone sees as the big problem with the move to Channel 4? Now, obviously, Mel and Sue have said they're not going with it, and that's massive.
2: Yeah, they are such an integral part of the format. Yeah,
3: but before they had said, you know, no way. I want to know why they said no way and why people were so anti the idea of it moving to Channel 4 because on the surface, I feel like the only thing that would change would be the ads, right? Because surely if you were Channel 4, you wouldn't want to mess with a format so established.
2: You'd hope not. So the show will be slightly shorter because of the ad breaks for Mm -hmm. it to still fit in the hour. Mm. Uh, It'll obviously have new presenters. But I think also there's maybe a little bit of a fear that channel four will try and do something new and innovative with it Yeah. and therefore it will be different. I wonder if they really would,
3: though, because part of me is a bit like, maybe they weren't going to mess with it. Maybe Mel and Sue should have just gone with the money. It's a really unpopular opinion, obviously, but Mm. then then maybe nothing would have changed about the Bake Off.
2: Yeah, but then also, I do feel like the production company have showed us that they are pretty up for standing out for what they think the show should be. Mm. I'm not sure that they're going to rock up at Channel 4 and take any shit from them. Yeah. I don't think they're going to let it be changed. So
3: exciting to see where that new series will go. It
2: is. I was very intrigued to hear that this is like international news. Amina and Anne talked about it on Call Your Girlfriend. Oh. Amina is a massive fan of the British version of The Great British Bake Off because obviously there was an American version up until the yeah. last couple of years as well. She's a big fan of the British version. And she was comparing it to when apparently Sesame Street moved from PBS to HBO or something, like a kind of public service channel to a wow. paid-for one. And she was saying how frustrating that was when like the kids who need Sesame Street couldn't see Sesame Street anymore. Yeah, that's insane. Although, obviously, it's not quite the same because anyone can watch Channel 4. It's a free-to-view terrestrial channel. Yeah. It just has adverts in it.
3: Yeah, I'm thinking it'll all be fine, but I'm excited to see who the new presenters will be, definitely. That will so affect the tone of the show do you have anyone that you would like
2: to see do it i quite want tamal previous bake-off mm-hmm. contestant do it although i also quite want him to continue his medical career yeah so cause that he can be your doctor <laughs> i'm very invested in tamal as like lovely doctor being lovely to people baking in his spare time yeah so i maybe don't want him to give that up to become a tv presenter but yeah i actually think davina mccall would do a great job i
3: also think she's great but i can't imagine who would be able to fill that hole but we'll find out that's they'll... a very melancholy thing to say fill that hole <laughs> <laughs> they'll have to do it in a totally different style that's yeah. the only way really but anyway what about this series which remains for the most part unaffected
2: by any of this drama
3: yeah. as it was recorded
2: a while ago. Although I do catch myself looking at Mel and Sue slightly, sadly, every time they're on screen. <laughs> yeah, the going, viewing experience is altered. The viewing experience is altered. You know, the, the puns are numbered yeah. now. Oh. I yes. only have maybe max a dozen puns. There's a new elegiac quality to every happy moment there (laughs) is (laughs) every time they do that thing where one of them says bake in a really low voice and one of them says bake in a really high voice I guess slightly Mm -hmm. sad very sad indeed yeah so I feel like we've just got to the point with this current series where I've started to have really strong opinions about the contestants yeah because enough random non-entities have left now for me to feel like I know the personalities my top two people are Selassie and Benjamina Selassie's extremely popular, isn't he? I find there's
3: something I'm like... I can't decide whether I'm charmed by or annoyed by Selassie. Oh, I am
2: both simultaneously. That's kind of part of the charm. Okay. Like, I love how incredibly laid back he is, but also how he's not getting the best results with that.
3: No, and he is a little... Like, he is competitive, Mm. you do see that competitive side. He just doesn't want to let it show.
2: Yeah, but I quite like how helpful he is to other contestants and how, like, generally smooth and handsome he is.
3: He was really sweet, Last week wasn't he? Was mm. it uh Candice who was struggling? Someone was, and yeah. he helped help them get all their stuff on their plate. And that yeah, that I love to see that kind of chummy behaviour in the bake-off tent.
2: I feel like, although obviously she's a very different person, I feel like Benjamina could have a similar trajectory to last year's winner, Nadia, mm. in that she's obviously really good, but I think she's a bit underconfident. And you can see every time she gets praised or like wins a technical or something, she's like, oh. I did that. She's also
3: s- kind of been in the background for the uh, first few episodes, which is all, all sort of promising because it's never the person who comes in and wows in the first yeah. couple of weeks. But she's been really, really consistent. And last week I was thinking like, wow, it'll be absolutely shocking if she doesn't get Star baker at this point. Yeah. Because she's just really done so much.
2: You're right, actually. As long-time Bake Off watchers, you can kind of sometimes sense from the way they edit the programme that in the early weeks when there are loads of contestants and there's not enough time in the show to give everybody mm-hmm. like a little story the people who aren't really in it much are just the people who are quite competent yeah exactly because we- you
3: need a dramatic underdog story and you know the, the how the mighty fall story
2: exactly whereas if you're just like yeah so I'm going to do this and I hope it's going to be okay and then it's okay they don't really show mm-hmm. much of that
3: mm-hmm. no and you know all power to them for that yeah, yeah I- so those those are two definite front runners I think.
2: I have one person I really really don't like as well. Go on. It's Andrew. Is Andrew the like
3: ginger little skinny boy?
2: Yes. (laughs) Yeah Yeah. I really don't like Andrew for reasons I can't quite put my finger on. I don't like his tint in hair. I don't like. Did you not like his basket hat last week? No. No. (laughs) No. I think also the fact that one of my housemates who I regularly watch the make-off with is in love with him. Oh, really? Yeah, he absolutely adores him. I read
3: a really great, um, did you read the Vice piece that was, like, summing up the contestants just from their photos before no. the season had started? Their That one on Andrew was like, oh yeah, he's that, like, vulnerable man-child that makes middle-aged women light up with a, an extremely uncomfortable maternal lust. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's probably a bit like that. I don't know. My housemate just really fancies him, I Oh, think. god. But anyway, so, yeah, not an Andrew fan. But everyone else, I- much of homogeneous, i don't I don't mind. I them. was really
3: bored by Kate, but I think
2: she's gone now. yeah she's he? gone now. So good. so yeah, how about you? Who are your faves? I don't really know. I also really like Benjamin,
3: and I really like Candace. Mm. That's just I like her sort of like pub landlord's daughter, great lipstick, vibe. like she's obviously deeply competitive. She's one mm. of those like anxious. I'm gonna cry if I fuck this up kind of competitive people. But I've just really liked all her bakes and I really like that her personality just comes through in them and that she always puts like a little bit of herself in them, whether Mm -hmm. it's like pouring beer into her batter mix or anything like that. I just you just get a bit more colour with her, um, which I really like. I also like Rav, who keeps like putting like Japanese flavours and stuff, and he's just got a really, really nice voice. Every time He he speaks, I'm like, I really love your sort of like very warm tone he's like cuddly and charming and yeah great
2: I really like him so I think it's been a really good lineup this year I do too and in most other regards it's been pretty much consistently a good series right yeah I
3: still fast forward through the weird historical bit in the middle I love
2: the historical bit it's my (laughs) least favorite did you not watch (laughs) the historical bit about dumplings oh god
3: it's so boring it was, so was that the exciting. one where the guys did, a, did an cappella bit i caught their yes. a cappella singing at the end and was like jesus this is so bake off
2: yep it was great there was <laughs> there was like a whole town in germany that makes these special dumplings to commemorate when they survived a siege i'm just like i'm here
3: to see a tennis cake fall on some weird marquee carpet <laughs> i don't want to see an 18th century pastry chef
2: I liked the the dumpling history bit so much. I downloaded it and made my boyfriend, who is a non Bake Off watcher, watch it.
3: Oh my god, you <laughs> nerd! You full nerd! As a side note, is this the first time we've talked about something twice on Seriously? Because we definitely talked about the Bake Off last year. I think for it the might be. Yeah. yeah,
2: it might be. Yeah, first recurring element.
3: Yeah, which I think goes to show what a huge cultural staple the Bake Off is.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, this series opened to an even larger audience than last series. Yeah, I it's, like over, yeah. Million, it's it? like over ten million. Is it? It's consistently over ten million. Insane. Like... <laughs> that many British people doing the same thing at the same time (laughs) never happens. (laughs) We're not a united country as this summer has proved. (laughs) Apart from like one sixth of the whole population will sit down every Wednesday night just to watch Bake Off. And I think the 10 million is just people watching it on telly. That's crazy. I don't think that even includes like catch-up Stuff. Wow, that would be really insane.
3: Yeah, so a huge cultural fixation of ours, and one that we'll continue watching with glee. And I'm sure we'll talk about it again at some point, even if just briefly, to talk about the winners, the losers, mm-hmm. etc.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, in years to come, who knows what may happen? But uh, we, unlike men and Suit, will be following it to Channel Four. <laughs>
3: So the next thing we're going to talk about this week is Bridget Jones's Baby, the third instalment in the Bridget Jones film series based on the books by Helen Fielding. In this latest offering, Bridget, played by Renée Zalwiger, is 43, single and pregnant. Unsure whether the father is old flame Mark Darcy, played by Colin Firth, as we all know, or hot American billionaire Jack Quant, who's played by Patrick Dempsey.
1: I'm absolutely loving my new
3: life.
0: Have top job as producer of news programme.
3: I'm looking for someone dynamic to lead any volunteers. Do you need the bathroom, Bridget?
0: <laughs> and maintaining good relationship with ex. How are you?
3: Very well, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. Classified?
0: Have a whiskey, please.
3: Big glass. Double. And my love life is showing signs of improvement.
0: Oh. May I? It fits. <laughs> Aside from one tiny development, I'm pregnant. Ah! Everything is
3: completely under control it's quite a fun setup for a third bridget jones film i quite like that they went full-on like kind of ridiculous with it a lot of people have pointed out that if bridget jones wasn't like posh and white this would be seen as like a really seedy plot line and not like a cute fun bubbly plot line about Mm -hmm. like a pregnant single mother who doesn't know which guy the baby daddy is
2: but well sometimes even like posh white women aren't insulated from that like thinking of all the times people have sneered at kate winslet for having like three kids by three different dads
3: yeah it's true but I guess it wouldn't be quite as bad as if, if she was. No, wasn't. of course yeah. not. <laughs> but I really like that they went with this plot line. So. Caroline you were hoping to see this movie but sadly was sadly
2: prevented by a family emergency which is all fine now but the one night I had free to go to the, <laughs> the cinema got taken up with that so I still fully intend to see it but um, I think you'll enjoy it actually I'm mostly at the moment enjoying it vicariously by you you know what I'll explain it
3: yes you. please do I mean if you don't want to be spoiled for Bridget Jones like, <laughs> you're weird uh, but yeah turn off because I'll talk through it it starts and she is like working as a top news producer now I can't remember what she's she was doing in the second film but in the first film she was, publishing, she was and publishing and then she moved to tv presenting yeah
2: so i think isn't it still this the same program it's like hard news yeah, isn't it? Cool. Yeah, yeah 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 i think that's the one she moved to and the one you know where she did the like sliding down the fireman's pole mm-hmm. and you saw her bum that's the same program i think
3: Right so she's still working there but behind the scenes and she like curates stuff and like she does sort of like West Wing style walk and talks at one point just to like show you how pleased she is with her job and then she gets this like new young boss who's like oh we should be doing like more things like cats that look like Hitler basically the like (laughs) young clickbait boss comes in and Bridget is all like ruffled and stuff. And she's also turning 43 and they have a really great scene where they like come in with a big cake groaning under the weight of all the candles, (laughs) which is really funny. And then her friend persuades her to go to Glastonbury.
2: So is she broken up with Mark Darcy prior to the start of this film? Yeah, at the beginning of this film, I think
3: they kind of rushed through it, but it never worked out. Mark was always working. She was always alone. She felt really like basically like she was still sad and single. Uh. So she broke up with him and then he got married to someone else Okay, who was like very high powered as well. So yeah, so she ends up going to Glastonbury. This is, in my view, the like more boring bit of the film where there's like cameos from Ed Sheeran and you're a bit like, mm, it's not really why I came oh. for, Some like fun celebrity cameos. Like I came for Bridget. There she meets this guy, this sort of unknown guy, Patrick Dempsey, and they like bang. And then... A few days later, she ends up at a christening. You know, Moaning Myrtle from the first films. Yeah she is having some like big christening in the countryside which is that a thing is this a thing posh people do they have a christening i have no idea in in a hotel in the countryside and everyone has to stay the night oh no never which well, is a bit re- really like a very like convenient setup for I've dear i've never old Brit. been to
2: a christening so i have <laughs> no idea but
3: i found this like bizarre and i was like wait why is no one explaining the fact that they're all they've all got like hotel rooms in this ridiculous like <laughs> country spa retreat so she's there mark's darcy is there he reveals that he's divorcing his wife you know it's not all not all going so well and they end up sleeping together at the conveniently located country retreat (laughs) and then you know days pass bridget realizes she's pregnant that setup takes quite a long time for me the film gets really good once you're in that setup okay and it's all like who's the father who wants to be the father the most who does bridget fancy the most who does she want to get with and it's like this whole thing where it's like I feel like she wants to get because she, she's having the baby definitely yeah. and I think she wants to get with the father she's got this idea in her mind that it will be all perfect and lovely if she falls for the guy who's also the father of the baby and they can actually like be that sort mm. of nuclear family setup. I would have liked it if the film did a little bit more to like challenge that it's again yeah. like one of these classic rom-coms that like nods at the idea that it's going to be like yeah fuck you tradition we're going to do something like cool and fun instead <laughs> to reflect the reality of families these days they never really commit to that sadly but it is really like fun and funny and I, I think you'll enjoy it if not for just the sheer amount of great Colin Firth screen time you're a Colin Firth
2: fan I am I'm, a massive Colin Firth fan Yeah, so, yeah. and he's like I have actually so quite great, complicated it? opinions about how Colin Firth won the Oscar for the wrong movie, and various <laughs> other things like that that I can go into at well, another. What did he win it for? King's Speech. He won it for the King's Speech. He should have won it for a single man. Yeah, I I agree. I broadly agree with that. In the same way that like authors always seem to win the Booker Prize for, yeah. like, the novel after the one that was good. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, it's like this
3: classic thing of prize-givers catching on a bit too late, like, with the Skepta Mercury yes, Award win. exactly. It's a bit like, why is he getting that now? <laughs> to clarify, I love Skepta, I just think the Mercury should have been nurturing his talent like decades ten, ten ago. years ago, yeah. at least, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if it really can ever compare to the glory of the first film, but I will say that I would just watch Colin Firth in any role. He looks, like, constantly mortified in this film, which he's just, like, really good at Doing. Mm. He's really good at that, like completely straight face, like h- horrified. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure it quite compares to that first one. But I would say that it's better than the second. Which
2: the I- second one is not great. Yeah, I always thought, which is a shame because the second book is fantastic. Is it? I haven't yeah. read it. I haven't read I it. I really like it. Mm. Uh, the whole bit where she's in the Thai prison. Yeah. Oh, second, that's awful in the movie. In the second is it's actually really good. It's like nail-scratchingly yeah. bad in
3: the movie.
2: Whereas my memory of it is it's a lot more nuanced in the book and a lot more, like, she's allowed to despair a lot more.
3: And a lot less laughing at yeah, people's uh, accents yeah, in exactly. Thailand. <laughs>
2: okay, good.
3: <laughs> do you have, like, a favourite Bridget Jones moment?
2: Yes, I do. It's from the book, from the first book, and it's, it's like, 1997, spring 1997, and she is really excited about Tony. Tony Blair and like hope and change and stuff and then there are just all these entries through the day on like polling day and she's like, Keep watching Tony Blair on television. Must go and vote And like basically (laughs) there's just this long, long, like shaggy dog story that is her diary entries where she keeps going to vote and ending up doing other things and then the polls close and she hasn't voted <laughs> that's so funny See, this really is, love that. that's classic
3: relatable yeah. like oh yeah i would definitely end up doing that style of bridget which is the best thing about her character i think is that she's both aspirational and like you at the mm-hmm. same time you're like oh she's got this amazing job i would also fuck it up in that way if i had that amazing job
2: Right? Yeah and the way that she has become such a kind of cultural emblem for like the idea of the messy single woman mm. and has spawned a million think pieces and all this kind of thing. It's actually been quite nice in seeing the press lead up for all this movie and stuff to be reminded that actually she's just a really great character. Yeah, she's such a great character and she's so like well-rounded
3: and you do feel like you know her and it does feel like we've been following her through all of these, you know, different times in her life. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know whether that's a testament to Helen Fielding or Renée Zellweger or who but it's just so great
2: i read a couple of reviews actually that really remarked on how great renee Zellweger is at physical comedy yeah she is really good and she's so
3: it's so funny to think that when she was first cast as bridget everyone was like american renee Zellweger is bridget yeah. jones this will never work and now you're just like she is bridget like she's so good at it she's pitch perfect last week we sort of mutually recommended each other a new thing that we hadn't seen which is extremists documentary on netflix it's about 25 minutes long yeah um so it's a short documentary and it's basically about end of life care although it's short you i don't think you'd want this documentary to be any longer oh my god it's like being punched in the feelings it's a really really heavy watch and i think anyone who sort of got sick or dying family members might want to stay away from it because it is really really upsetting
2: yeah i mean there was i on sunday evening blithely thinking i'm gonna get ahead with my podcast watching this week i'm gonna Mm. watch this now just it's short before i go to sleep and then had to stay up an extra hour and a half to like calm down try and cleanse yourself from it yeah it's
3: really really painful and i think the thing that came out of it overwhelmingly for me is how difficult it is for people to make decisions about whether or not to end somebody's life if they can't communicate with the person who's ill which obviously in a lot of these situations is exactly what's happening because either they've had an accident or they're so sick that they are unconscious or only sort of vaguely conscious or not able to speak even when they are speaking you're not sure if they're really understanding you so it's really really complicated and then even worse sometimes there just aren't those family there to make that decision Mm. and it's left
2: to the doctors who don't really know the person and i had to say the other thing i took out of it was how amazing the doctors are Mm -hmm. you know the doctors on this particular unit which i think is in um, the hospital in oakland in California. They specialize in this, so mm-hmm. all of their patients are going through some variation of the problems that you've just outlined and the families and friends thereof. and they are having to break the horrible news mm-hmm. like multiple times a day that there's nothing more we can do. We can like surgically attach her to a machine that will like keep her functionally alive, but she won't ever regain. Mm -hmm. any kind of independent life what do you want to do Mm. and they're guiding people through these decisions and i thought that they were incredibly tactful about it
3: yeah because it's this really tricky balance of saying look this is probably what i would do they can't tell anyone what to do Mm. and a lot of these people are desperate to be told what's best oh yeah and obviously it's just never that simple what was striking was how honest they were how they were like you know we don't know whether she would get better but she might and then Mm. if you decide not to do it then, you know, that's pretty final, that decision, because they will die. But if you keep doing it, you might just prolong their pain for whoever knows how long, and they still probably won't get any better.
2: It's so interesting, because they don't in any way sugarcoat what they say, because they do use the phrase, you know, quite casually, almost, like, yeah, if we do this, she might die. Mm -hmm. They don't try and, like, wrap it in euphemism or anything. But just particularly the main, the lead doctor, her manner is, like, so frank and so clearly well-meaning. -hmm. That I think I could probably take hard things from her better than from someone else. There
3: was an amazing article recently, and I can't for the life of me remember which outlet it was or who wrote it. So sorry, that's really unhelpful. But written from the perspective of someone who works, uh, you know, in an emergency unit in a hospital and has before had to break news about you know, I'm so sorry your son has died. Mm. And it's written in uh, the second person being like, you know, this is how you do it. You go to the mirror, you tell, you repeat exactly what you're going to say. You practice, you owe it to the mother to practice. And then in that they say, you know, you don't say they passed away. You don't say, you say they have died. You have to, you can't Mm. use euphemisms because it's just a, a way of trying to soften the truth when actually the truth is horrible and they just need to
2: hear it. That reminds me, completely bizarrely, of the first series of Scrubs. Did you watch Scrubs? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so in the, the first couple of series, before it got picked up by a really big network and went a bit like cheesy and mm-hmm. sort of American network show, it was quite good at this kind of thing. And I remember there was a plot line about how Zach Braff's like junior doctor, the first time he had to tell someone that the patient had died, he had to tell their family, his like mentor was like exactly what you just said, like you have to use the word death, dead, die Mm -hmm. some variant of it and you have to just state the plain facts and then you have to just be there for them Mm -hmm. and he bottled it and he said they've passed on to a better place and the family obviously seized at that like chink of light that he'd left open was took it to mean that they'd like moved him to a a better ward or Mm -hmm. something and of course then he had to like go and do it a second time and it was so much worse because he'd given them that false hope and all the rest of it yeah yeah So I hadn't thought about scrubs in years, but yeah, they actually (laughs) did deal with that.
3: Yeah, so I I think as well, I I wonder how different these decisions might be if you had to bring in, you know, like finance and stuff Mm. into those decisions, which is just so, so stressful and horrible. But I know that that still is the case for some people in America. But yeah, it was really very well done. I think really brave of all the people who took part, all the all the yeah. families who were happy to sort of show that decision-making process. Because if any, if nothing else, I think a documentary like this will really help people who are going through those decisions to realise that like, yes, there are no right answers and you just really have to try and do the best you can mm. and hopefully make people feel a bit less alone.
2: Yes, and actually, also, what it kind of underlined to me is that you should talk about these things mm. early on. Mm. Yeah, like, with your partners yeah. and relatives, and like, don't I? I know when someone's you know going through a major illness, like it gets broken down for you into so many tiny little stages that you you barely ever think about like what the ultimate mm. end could be. But you have to. God, bleak. I know, so bleak. But then it is a great film because it makes you think about all those things. Yeah. So
3: if you're feeling strong enough definitely check it out. Mm. If not, it's there for you at some point in your life. So what about next week, Karen? So next
2: week, I'm going to recommend you a book that actually has some of these same themes about death and dying in it. Uh, a very famous book called The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. I've wanted to read
3: this for so long.
2: Yeah, it, I feel like it's a really core text amongst, like... A certain group of female writers of like our age and a little bit older mm-hmm. that Joan Didion is just this kind of icon of what you can achieve if you really work hard yeah. as a writer and this was her book that she wrote after her husband of 40 years just dropped dead suddenly one day just after Christmas he just had a heart attack and fell on the floor and he was dead and their daughter had been really ill and carried on being ill for some of the year Like She was in hospital. They'd just come back from the hospital when he died. And she wrote this book about the reason it's called The Year of Magical Thinking is because she analyzes her own unwillingness to believe that he is dead and her own impulse to try and wish him back to life just by thinking about it. Mm. And that's what the book is about.
3: Oh, I'm really excited! Thanks for recommending it to me because I really wanted to get my teeth into it for a while.
2: Yeah, and I feel like if any listeners have read it as well, I would be so like thirsty for other impressions on it. Do yeah. let, do let us know. It'd be really get good. in the seriously inbox, and we'll have a little book group discussion.
3: <laughs> Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show.
2: We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, You can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and they should be listening to it too.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.